Hi there, you are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast, the show produced in Sydney, Australia, where we speak to leading guitar figures from all around the world. My name is Matt Wakeling, and thank you so much for joining me. Now, today in episode number 84, I speak to LA-based guitarist Terry Wallman. He's forged an amazing career spanning over 35 years as an in-demand guitarist, music director, producer, and composer. He's worked with an amazing array of artists, including Al Jarreau, Michael McDonald, Billy Preston, the band Wilson Phillips, Joan Baez, Joe Walsh, Keb Moe, and Joe Sample, just to name a few. Terry has released seven full-length solo albums, and his latest instrumental release, No Problem, has topped the Billboard Smooth Jazz Charts. In his first instalment of a two-part interview, Terry talks us through his early influences, explains how studying arrangement at Berkeley transformed him from a guitarist into a musician, tells us about building a career in LA in the early 80s, and getting an impromptu and fairly unrequired lesson from Lindsay Buckingham, and much, much more. Now, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you'll know some of our episodes um, yeah, around 25, 30 minutes, like the one with John Norum from Europe from last week. By the way, thank you for the great response to that. Um, some of those interviews are part of a scheduled press day for those artists, and, and they have a short amount of time. Other interviews, we like to do a, a full-length interview, and uh, we've certainly had the chance to do that with Terry. And it was really cool to meet Terry. really just clicked when, I, uh, when we first spoke, and yeah, we ended up spanning this discussion over two conversations. So what you're about to hear now is part one. Before we get to that though, I want you to hear part of that new track I just mentioned, No Problem, by Terry Wallman. Then we'll get straight into our interview. Thank you so much. Happy to be here with you. Fantastic. Now, Terry, you've had an amazing career, well over 30 years as a professional musician, producer, um, an actor, a, a radio producer, um, which I'd love to talk about all of that stuff. But most recently, mm-hmm. um, you've released a new single called No Problem, which has done really great. I, I see it's the number one most added recording to the Billboard Smooth Jazz Charts. Yeah, Matt. Yeah. That's yeah. Very I'm, cool. I'm very happy, excited about that. And, and I'm also excited that I've been getting play in Australia and all around the world. Fantastic. You know, as, as well. So that, that makes me smile. <laughs> That's very cool. I mean, bottom line, it's a great tune with some great guitar playing and arrangements. Thanks. Tell, tell me about the song. Tell me how did uh, that come about? Well, it's, it's a song that I had written actually a long time ago and had never recorded. And uh, last year for my 60th birthday, uh, we did a live concert and I thought it would be fun to pull that tune out and we played it live and, and we had so much fun playing it that everybody in the band basically on their own came to me and said, we should record that song. (laughs) And, you know, and we basically just went in the studio just for the fun of it. And that happened so rarely you know, these days. And, you know, once you start making records and, it, you know, everybody wants to know, you know, when's the session, when's the tour. And, and this was for the, we recorded it just really for the pure joy of going in and having fun recording this song. And when I knew that we were going to do that, I said, well, I'll, I'll put it up on iTunes, you know, I'll, I'll definitely, we'll release it. Uh-huh. So let's go do it. And, and we did. And, and, uh, you know, John Robinson, Jr. came in and played drums and, my yeah who's amazing he plays on most of my records or he has for a long long time um greg manning played keyboards who's a a wonderful piano player and producer in his own right hussein jeffrey 
played bass, and my friend Mindy Abear played sax, and and it was really fun because I've known her a long time and have worked with her normally a little bit more in a in a contemporary jazz or content contemporary instrumental genre okay. but you know she's she's definitely gone the the blues rock route and I thought it'd be fun to to bring her in on this so I called her up and said I I want to know I, I need to find a really good rock sax player can you recommend anybody just joking around with her of course and <laughs> And because uh, that's, you know, she fancies herself as as she well should as a rock sax player. Okay. So it, it was the perfect combination. So we all we just had a blast that's and great. and uh, and we put it out and, you know, it's taking wings. It's really getting some some wonderful uh, feedback. And, you know, and again, uh, you never know if you're going to end up on the billboard charts, regardless of, you know, what you've previously done. And uh, it's always um, a, a, a treat you know, and, and something that I'm proud of. So, um, and it was, yeah, we had, we had a really fun time recording it. And just for all the guitar players that are listening, we recorded live. We went in a studio and just hit record and, and played it. And that was the song. And then I brought it back to my studio and I thought, let me see, I might want to add a couple of rhythm guitar parts. You know, I wasn't sure if I wanted to keep the purity of the, the arrangement, and just go, you know, straight up live, or if adding a couple of layers of guitars might uh, still stay true to my intention with the song, and you know, add a little bit more uh, meat uh, to it. And uh, so, you know, I did. I I came home, played around with it, and came up with a couple of other rhythm guitar parts that I think kind of help propel the song and 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 give it more contour and texture. Sure, sure. The um, the guitar tone is is fantastic. What what are you playing through? Well, I'm a Mesa Boogie uh, aficionado, and I've been endorsing them for a very very long time. Um, I started playing their amps after my very first tour that I did with Billy Preston back in 1981. Oh, wow. That was wow. my first my first you know opportunity to tour with a, a major artist and and you know, travel the world. And, and when I came back, I bought my first Mesa Boogie amp and then I developed a relationship with them and, uh, and I've been using their amps ever since. So that was actually through the new, uh, Mesa Boogie, uh, Mark five twenty five. So it's yeah, a small, the little head. It's yeah. their, it's that little head. Yeah. Cool. And which by the way is really light, <laughs> which, which I'm very happy about. Sure. And, uh, because I also I've got a rectifier head, you know, that doesn't leave the studio. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Because <laughs> cause it's it's a beast, but it that Absolutely. one sounds great also. But that was all through the Mark Five Twenty Five. Uh, I used um, I actually used the distortion uh, in the um, the amp, you know, just tube distortion with a single twelve uh, cabinet for the lead sound. But I also have a couple of exotic pedals that i use that i really love as well but but the main sound they, everything was through the boogie amp uh with either uh, different guitars i used my um valley arts uh custom guitars from that i've had since the early 90s and i also used a uh, my Duesenberg. i've got a double cat that i used for one of the rhythm parts too but but you know i but either what i did was i just would either change the pickup selector and dial in a, a slightly different um, EQ on the amp, you know, because the EQ settings on the amp are, are really simple on on the new Mark V, you know, 25. Okay. And so, I, you know, I just made sure that they sounded different sonically so that we weren't all speaking in the same frequency yeah, like you would sure. do if there was more than one guitar player. Mm -hmm. And essentially there's three guitar players on the track, all three being me. So I needed them to have a different point of view, um, not just performance-wise, but also sonically. Okay. So, but yeah, it's right. all it's all the Mesa Boogie out. Yeah. Right. Very cool. Yeah. Man, mm -hmm. well, um, we're going to talk through your career. When when we get to the move to LA, it just seems like that's there was lots of uh, lots of great timing because Boogie was you know just getting going then, I guess, and uh, yeah, LA being a mecca of uh, of music for a lot of music. 
Um, but yeah, let's go back. So you you grew up sure. in Miami, right? Born and raised in Miami, Florida. Um, My, mm-hmm. When when did you start playing guitar? I started, um, I think, in late elementary school. You know, taking obligatory, <clears throat> excuse me, obligatory guitar lessons, uh-huh. um, like everybody, and I I took them with my older brother, and uh, and I really. Uh, besides the bleeding fingers and, you know, the, <laughs> from all the, the, you know, the cheap acoustic guitars with the action way too high that we all started on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I, you know, I, I toughed it out and got through the pain, the physical pain of it so that I actually continued playing and I really loved it. Uh, and then I went on to take piano lessons and I really wanted to play drums and I, I could not convince my parents to get me a drum kit understandably they just didn't want to deal with the noise and uh so they said well if you want to take drum lessons you have to work on a practice pad for six months and so i did so i took drum lessons and then um they i graduated to talking them into buying me a snare drum and i took lessons for another six months on the snare drum and then i thought I'm going to be 40 or 50 years old by the time I get a full kit at this pace. So, <laughs> so, so I kind of gave up on that and, um, and then went back, you know, I, I continued playing piano and guitar for fun and just learning songs with friends like, like you do. And, and, uh, and then I got serious about playing guitar when I was 15. Okay. That's, that's really when I got focused about it. What was the impetus I had go- there? Oh, well, um, that's a great question. Uh, you know, looking back at, at why I made my decision on guitar versus piano, it's kind of, um, you, it's laughable because uh, at the time I thought, well, I need to, the thing that prompted me to actually get serious about one instrument or, or focused um, was my dad uh, basically just saw me kind of flittering around from one thing to the other. And he basically uh May I use profanity on the show? Or we? Well, I'll, yeah, we're ready, G. So I, I'll, I'll bleep you. So yeah, go for it. <laughs> he basically said, "You need to or get off the pot." Okay. You know, and and he said because he goes, you know, you should just pick something. I mean, you clearly yeah. love music, uh-huh. so why don't you why don't you just pick something and, and start focusing on it and see see where it takes you? And I thought, well, if you're traveling and you you don't always have a piano you're at the mercy of wherever you show up there's a piano and it might be in tune it might not be in a tune but you can always carry a guitar with you so i thought well i'm gonna i'm gonna focus on guitar mm-hmm. and it's i mean it's the first instrument i started on but that was kind of the reason that i chose it not knowing as as time progressed and as technology progressed and as my career progressed you can't just show up anymore with just a guitar <laughs> to, you know, to a recording session or a gig. You, you yeah. need to bring an acoustic and a couple of electrics and pedals and amps and, you know, and, you know, keyboard players oftentimes just walk in and play an acoustic piano. <laughs> Don't carry anything in, you know. So um, so it kind of um, full circle. There is an irony to my choice, but but it's the instrument that I love. I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely in love with guitar as i know you are and and it it's just um held my um my passion you know for all these years so so when when i was 15 i moved to mexico city with my father and my older brother for six months and we lived there and went to school there and i bought a nylon string guitar while i was in mexico and started taking lessons from somebody that I had met who was an, an older guy who was just this wonderful guitar player. And he started teaching me some songs. And, and then when I came back to the States, I, uh, I just continued, you know, I didn't, I didn't really continue formally, uh, but I had a lot of friends who played guitar who were taking lessons and they would teach me what they were learning. So I got it, um, secondhand essentially. Um, but they, the, the friends that I had had great teachers and they were good players. So they just, you know, it's, we just all showed each other everything we knew, you know, about, we would share songs and, and open tunings or techniques or, uh, 
finger picking styles. We would, we would just show each other how to do things. And I really learned a lot then. And then I got really focused once I got out of high school mm -hmm. and went to, I began college and I went to what we have uh, it's available to us is a junior college. I don't know if you have that there. Um, the colleges in, in America are generally four year colleges where you would get a degree, but there's also, uh, there's junior colleges where it's a two-year program okay, and they're okay. generally um, they're private but they're they're much less expensive especially when you're a resident of a city or a state okay, you know if sure. you live there it's it's close to free yeah. to studying there so it was a it was a cost-effective way for me to go because uh, when I was at that point I was literally on my own uh, financially my my mom was still around but my dad had passed away uh, in an accident when I was 17. So I ended up, yeah, it was really a, a very um, rough time for me. And, and, you know, I finished my last year of high school and, and ended up just literally living on my own and putting myself. Hi, I'm back. Oh, yeah, that's great. That's great. Okay. Let's see if that works. Okay. Thank you. No worries. Sorry about that. No, 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 not at all. Um. I'm sorry, we're in a really big moment here. I'm, I'm, uh... <laughs> right. Well, we don't want to lose anything. So, you know, it was it was um, it was a traumatic time for me emotionally and personally. But yeah. but it's it was actually, um, in hindsight, it's really, you know, I I say that you know starting to study music more seriously and doing something that I loved uh, gave me a, a ladder to climb out of this hole that I was in emotionally of, of being sad, cool. you know, and, and not having a direction and it gave me a purpose mm -hmm. and I needed a purpose. And, and so I threw myself to the best of my ability. I threw myself into it and, and found that, uh, that I was enjoying learning about theory and, and really studying formally, having great guitar teachers and, and finally starting to have people show me how, it all works, you know, and how to become a great musician. Wow. And what kind, what kind of stuff were you learning in junior college? What kind of styles were you getting into? Well, it was the first time I started studying jazz, and I really didn't have any interest in jazz. Uh -huh. At the, the time, I was interested in rock and pop music. Uh, and But um, that's what they taught. You know, I was studying classical music. I had a classical guitar teacher, and then I had a jazz guitar teacher because they didn't back then really teach you rock in school. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, jazz, I, I found encompassed everything that wasn't classical. In other words, so you, we, we worked on reading music. We worked on learning and appreciating different styles of music yeah, uh, sure. and um, learning about harmony and, and, and technique. You know, and, and, and then I just started expanding out from that point. Okay. And we were also, at the same time, we were taking ear training classes, and um, we were forced to sing in the choir. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which, um, and we had to actually be in, in a musical. They had musicals in the school because there was a theater department. So they needed more voices. So it was my first... Um, I, actually, I had studied drama in high school. I was in some plays, and and I was just in the creative part of high school. I was in art. You know, we were we were learning how to do ceramics and sculpture and painting, and um, and then I had a really wonderful creative writing teacher. Uh, so we we wrote every day. We wrote poems and short stories, and just really learning how to express myself artistically. Okay, and. And then I was also very physical. I was I was on the track team and running and you know and water skiing. You know it's Florida, so you're <laughs> the, 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 nice. there's always an opportunity to be swimming or water skiing or sailing or cool. on your bicycle out yeah out in the sunshine. So it was a, it's a combo pack. <laughs> awesome. Now somehow out of all that sunshine you ended up in berkeley um where it's much colder the berkeley college of yeah. music <laughs> when did you move up there when did that study start for you 
Well, I, I moved up there, and by the way, it was a shock. <laughs> it was an absolute <laughs> shock to my system, which I imagine it's it's pretty tropical climate where you live too, correct? Or, or yeah, it's it pretty cold? it's pretty warm. It's pretty warm here. Yeah. What, what we call cold is not really what you guys call cold. Same thing. Yeah. yeah. So, but you know, so similar to growing up in Miami. Okay. So it's 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 a subtropical climate. Yeah. So I I moved to Boston and it was freezing. I mean, it was just shocking <laughs> how cold it was and how gray it was. Yeah. It, it, it took a lot to get used to, but I, I went to this, the two years of junior college and then I moved to Boston after that to, um, to go to Berkeley to finish my studies mm -hmm. or continue my studies. And I, uh, I graduated Berkeley in 1980 and I was there for about two and a half years, and I just went straight through. Okay. So I, I, you know, I didn't take the summers off for vacation or anything. Again, because I was supporting myself and taking out student loans, and cool. uh, so I needed to do it the most cost-effective way. And and I basically, uh, you know, in, immerse myself in the in the city and the culture, and also. Uh, you know, when you go to a school like that, I, I, I basically fell asleep pretty much every night with a guitar in my hand. Uh -huh. I mean, I would wake up in the morning, you know, when the alarm went off and the guitar was in bed next to me. Right. Yeah. Because there were not enough hours in the day, um, with all the work that every single one of the teachers gave you at that school. Mm -hmm. It was a, a very challenging wow. school, but it was, um, uh, but it was, um, pretty amazing to be there. I got a great education. Yeah. And and I tell people that I feel like I went in as a guitar player and I came out as a musician. Can you expand? Do you know on... what I mean by that? Well, I think well, I do. What what does that mean to you? Well, it means that it gave me the ability, first of all, to listen mm -hmm. in a much broader way. Like they they really began to show me how to hear music and not just listen to the guitar. Cool. But you know, but but really listen to the the lyrics, to the melody, to the, the harmonic point of view. You know, the chords, the the rhythmic figures, and then even go deeper. You know, what's the hi hat playing? Yeah, and mm -hmm. to me, before I went to to school there, it's like I I never knew that there was any reason for me to know what the hi hat was playing. Right. It just didn't dawn on me. Sure. So, so my attention wasn't there. I mean, I loved a great drum solo. You know, I listened to the drums, but I wasn't um, in the minutia of it. Sure. And yep. like in the way that we listen to guitars, you know, like yeah. when 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 you and I listen to something that's on the radio, we you know we know if it's a steel string or a nylon string or a high strung guitar, or if it's if it's an open tuning or you know if it's got a flanger on it or a yep. chorus. We know yep. that. The difference of those sounds, you know, and, you know, and then you go further, then you learn to identify a major chord or a minor chord, you know, you, you hear it and you know what it is, you know, and so to start to, to really get out of your own selfishness as a musician <laughs> and, and listen to the other things that are going around in your environment that are not only interesting to listen to, but, but they feed you. I mean, when you really learn to play, it's a lot of it is learning how to listen. Yeah. And then so that you interact, you know, the, the hi-hat has become my best friend. Right. Yeah. You know, especially, you know, when I work with drummers like John Robinson or Luis Conte and, you know, and Lenny Castro on percussion or the great Ricky Lawson before he passed away, you know, you play with guys like that. And they they're feeding you ideas, you know, as a rhythm player, mm -hmm. you know, as a, as you know, when it's time to play a, a, a rhythm guitar part, they're just they're spoon feeding it to you. You can just listen to what they're doing and and buckle up and go along for the ride. That's awesome. you know, and gra that. grab, you know, grab some of their rhythms and and, uh, you know, and basically expand on their ideas as well or they're listening to your rhythms and they're expanding on your ideas. So, and then I also started to learn more about conducting and arranging and orchestration mm -hmm. and learning how to write for strings and, uh, and woodwinds and horns and, you know, and how to write a bass part out and, 
yeah, yeah, yeah awesome. how to work with singers. Uh, and, and I was always really in love with producing. I always wanted to be a record producer. I just liked it. You know, I, I was fascinated by it and I loved the idea of making records. And when, you know, growing up in Miami, one of the studios, one of the most amazing studios that was there was Criteria Recording Studios and Eric Clapton recorded there and the Bee Gees and the Eagles. And a lot of people came to Miami to record. And they went to that studio. And so I had the opportunity to go to that studio to record a few times, but also to be a fly on the wall and just see what was going on. We were there one time recording some little project and Fleetwood Mac was in the next room. Nice. Yeah. And, Very cool. you know, I walked, you know, walked out into the, the, um, yeah, the the lobby area where the pool hall, you know, the pool table was and the Coke machines for people to the lounge. And, you know, and Lindsey Buckingham was standing right there. And I went up and talked to him and you know, asked him how he played landslide <laughs> because because <laughs> I had learned landslide from the record. That's great. And the singer that was in the band that I was in kept telling me that I was playing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought. Well, I'm just going to ask him. <laughs> so I said, what, do you put the capo on the third fret or, you know, whatever my question was. Yeah. That's great. That's... And he just kind of looked at me and said, well, yeah, actually, that's how I play. And I go, wow, thank you. <laughs> I, I said, could you do me a favor and go tell the singer that I'm working with? <laughs> I think I'd forgotten completely about that, but I actually think I asked him to do that. And oh, he that's did. that's <laughs> so great. Really? Oh, that's the best. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and I bet I bet that singer never hassled you again about that part. <laughs> no, <laughs> she believed me from that point on. <laughs> <laughs> you can't get better than that. You can't get more um, more of a thumbs up than the than Lindsay Buckingham saying, "Yep, you're doing it yeah. right." You know, Matt, I'd completely forgotten about that because you know I was I don't even know how old I was, but I love that. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> When, so so I went to, I went to Boston and yep. and and got immersed in this amazing um, environment. Yeah, you know that was just all music, twenty four hours a day. Well, it seems like, given that you did head into record producing and music directing and arranging, um, yeah. this training really expanded you from yeah, you know, like you said, beyond just being a guitar player to being a to being a musician. Tell me about LA. When did you? When did you move there? Was that soon after? I, yeah, I I stayed in Boston for another year, and I was um, teaching guitar lessons, and I was playing in a band or two, and mm -hmm. and um, trying to figure out what to do with the rest of my life. Um, quite seriously, uh, as to where, not what to do, but where to do it, you know, and where I had the 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 best chance of making success happen, mm -hmm. and. Uh, you know, I wanted to go back to Miami because I love Miami and it's a beautiful place to live. But there were a couple of friends that I have, uh, still have, but they were very successful musicians Then had toured. One of my friends, Bobby Thomas, played percussion with Weather Report back yeah. then. And, awesome. and you know, Bobby and I went to junior high school together in high school and, and are still friends to this day. And, and Bobby told me, he said, don't come back home. He said, I love you and I you know, miss you, but there's nothing here. Mm -hmm. You know, he said, you've, he goes, the only work I get is when I leave town and tour. Okay. So he said, you, you need to go to New York or LA and a few other people, um, said the same thing to me, you know, that were successful musicians that were living in Miami, right. but had already established themselves in the rock and pop recording world and touring world. So, um, and quite frankly, I was cold. <laughs> I didn't want to <laughs> live in New York. You know, I, I just didn't want to live in another cold place. And, and at the time I felt like a little, mm, I, I was, I'm tougher now than I used to be, you know, I've got a tougher, thicker skin, mm -hmm. a lot of it from working in television, you know, for all the years that I did where it, it gets you to not personalize everything and not be, you know, a fragile, um, artist. And so I, I didn't feel tough enough to live in New York. It just didn't feel like, my environment, you know, especially having grown up in Miami, which is pretty laid back, you know, people are friendly. I mean, there's, you know, there certainly was 
violence and gangs and things like that. But it, it, it's it's a warm, friendly environment. And I didn't at the time see New York as a warm, friendly environment. So that left Los Angeles. So, mm-hmm. uh, and that was a difficult decision for me because I had been to, to LA when I was younger. And I remember passing through and it was hot, which I don't mind. I, I, you know, I love good hot weather, but it was smoggy. The air was really dirty. And I made a, a vow that I would never live in a city like L.A. Yeah, and not thinking of the weight of <laughs> thinking about like that. Just, you know, you're a young teenage kid and you go, I would never live in a place like this. And and then when it came time to think about moving to Los Angeles, it I had to to get over my my bias and my my pre-existing prejudice against the city. And so I did. And I thought, well, let me come to L.A. And because a lot of records are made in L.A. and a lot of people tour, um, you know, leaving from L.A. and or live in L.A. that are touring artists. And I thought, let me just go there and I'll give it a year mm-hmm. without even making a decision. And, you know, I, I made a promise to myself that I wouldn't come to any kind of a decision or conclusion about the experience until at least a year was up. So I didn't want to come in with a, a chip on my shoulder. Sure. Uh, in a bad attitude. So yeah. I, I made the move. I, I packed, I had a Honda station wagon and I packed the guitar. I had, um, what you an playing? electric guitar. I had, <laughs> I had a Les Paul custom nice. and then I had, uh, an acoustic guitar. I don't even remember what kind it was. And, uh, just steel string acoustic guitar, two guitars, an amp, some clothes and a champion juicer, you know, for, <laughs> for, <laughs> <laughs> for making my, you know, my, my fresh juice. Oh, and, that's great. And, uh, I know that was it. And, you know, so, uh, I actually had some books too, but a friend of mine shipped them out to me once I found a place to, to, to stay. And how old you know, were I you had sli- at this stage, Terry? Uh, I was probably 22 yeah, or 23. Wow. I remember turning 21 in Boston. Okay. So, so, um, yeah, I might've been 23. Wow. Yeah, I, I would guess twenty three. Yeah, uh, twenty four, the oldest. Okay. Um, I, yeah. Um, I mean, we, you can do the math. I was born in nineteen fifty six, and I moved to LA in nineteen eighty one. Yeah. Uh, I've callers, heard... you can figure it out. <laughs> yes. Do the sums. Do the math. Yeah. I um. <laughs> I right, had... carry the one. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh man, I've I've had a few guests that have um made the move to LA um. I had yeah. Sc- I spoke to Scott Henderson. He's from Florida as well. Um, he pretty much That's echoed right. your yeah. comments that uh, he loved Florida, but that there wasn't much there in terms of the music scene. Um, right. Uh, yeah. He must have moved probably just a little bit after you. Joe Elliott, more from the um, I think the Midwest. Um, yes. I don't know if you know Joe, but he seems to have. Um, been I don't know Joe. Stuff. I know who he is. I, and okay. I, I do know Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I so do. the idea I get from those guys that. The LA in the early '80s. There's um, there's a lot of music going on. There's a lot of gigs, but there's also a lot of guitar players and a lot of competition. So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's accurate. Yes. How how did you go at the start? How did you how did you buy food and uh, get established? What was that that like? When when I was in Berkeley, there were I believe there were a thousand guitar players in the program. So I had already been used to being in an environment where I was one of many. Okay. And that and there was a lot of and for lack of a better word, competition, I, you know, to me, I don't really view it as competition mm-hmm. because I, I believe that there's enough for everybody in life. And, and if something is meant to be yours, if you work really hard for it, then it's yours, you know, and, and you'll get it. So, but there was, but, but there was a lot of traffic, as you say, the freeway was crowded uh-huh. and, um, and it still is. So when I moved to LA, um, that, didn't really throw me uh, because I knew that that the competition was going to be pretty fierce because this is where people move to 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 work in the music industry. It's one of one of the meccas in the world, not the only place. Sure. So uh, so I, the advice that I was given was to uh, just get out and meet people. You know, say yes to everything, uh, every opportunity. Go do it. Show up early. 
have a great attitude, be prepared, bring an extra pencil to a rehearsal, mm-hmm. bring extra picks, batteries, strings, uh, you know, just and make yourself somebody not not just about your playing ability, but but just your the hang factor, you know, that that people would want to be around you because you're easy to work with and that you're enthusiastic and passionate and respectful of, you know, show up late and keep everybody hanging. And so I, and they said, go to, go to clubs, go to all of the clubs and just introduce yourself to people, you know, go hear everybody and, and meet people. And I remember it was, it was quite, um, amazing to me and a little confusing in that I went to a club called the baked potato, which is a, a club that a lot of people play at in Los Angeles, a lot of, um, well-known musicians. And I went there one night to hear Larry Carlton play guitar and Abraham Laboriel was playing and bass. And, and I had gotten to know Abraham from, uh, working with Joe sample and the crusaders. I was already doing, um, um, a little bit of work with with Joe as his assistant, okay, and cool. before I before I had started doing a little bit of guitar playing with them as well. But yeah. but I went to the Baked Potato to go hear, you know, this amazing band, and there were about the same amount of people in the audience as there were on the stage, uh-huh. <laughs> and I I was blown away. I actually could not wrap my head around that. Yeah, wow. you know, it was a it was a week night. I think it was a Tuesday night or something. But it was uh-huh. like. I didn't understand how you could go, go to this famous <laughs> club and see these, you know, infamous musicians, you know, legends that I'd only heard about and it's not sold out and not packed. And, and, and it, it gave me an understanding that there was just so many things going on all the time that it, you know, it just, it's hard to fill a club <laughs> no matter who you are. <laughs> um, it's harder even now because people don't need need to leave the house anymore yeah. for entertainment. You know, they just put Netflix on and whatever and, you know, and stay out of rush hour traffic, you know? So, um, but, but I just started doing that and, um, and meeting people and, and definitely saying yes to everything. I played in a, a, a few different bands um, and some I got paid for and some I was supposed to get paid for and didn't get paid for. And, you know, and, and others I did just for the, the experience of it. And, and, uh, it started leading to me getting more experience, but also, uh, broadening my, uh, relationships with people. Okay. And, and, but the, you know, the irony of it is this first tour that I had that I mentioned earlier in the show with Billy Preston, Billy Preston yeah. I got that tour because I was parking cars at the Playboy Mansion <laughs> as, as my part-time job. Yeah. <laughs> on the weekends and Billy Preston's drummer parked cars okay. on the weekends when he wasn't on tour with Billy. Wow. And a lot of people did that. And it, it opened my eye, my eyes up to, to this very odd thing where, you know, there was another great guitar player uh, that I had met who played with Leo Serra at the time. And I thought, this is so amazing. And he's parking cars on the weekend. Yes. Yep. You know, he'd like, and then he'd disappear for two months and then he'd be back, you know? And so there were different musicians that were touring with major artists who, when the tours were over, they'd come and pick up some regular work, you know, and same thing with actors, you mm-hmm. know, there were people that you were acting with and yeah, or, th- or that you were working with and they disappear and then they come back and go, Hey, where, where have you been? And they go, I, well, I was just working on a movie, uh, some science sci-fi movie called Blade Runner. <laughs> I think it's going to be pretty cool, you know. <laughs> that, you know, you know, and a year later, Blade Runner's out, and wow. you know, and you're still parking cars with this guy, yeah. you know, and and it did, it kind of didn't make any sense yeah. that people who were extremely talented and doing very high-profile work still had to park cars on the weekend. <laughs> so that was a little intimidating as well, but through that experience, I, I, and, and opportunity, uh, because I look at experiences as, as opportunities, whether they're challenging or not, there's, they are still opportunities if you want to look at them in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And, and I became friends with the drummer, Jared, and, and we started playing together in a little band for fun. And, and, you know, I told him one time he had actually gone on three tours and come back 
in this first year that I was living in LA and I finally couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> I just said to him, I said, look, you're my friend and I'm at risk of jeopardizing our friendship because I've got very few friends in this city. I don't know that many people yet, but I'm just going to say this one time and I will never say it again. <laughs> I did not move here to park cars. <laughs> I, I moved here to tour and make records. So if there's ever an opportunity for me to get an audition with Billy, I would be so grateful. I just wanted you to know that. And I'll, you know, he goes, okay, cool, man. Thanks for telling me. And uh, about a month or so later, I got a call and he said, Hey, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, I don't know. I'm around, you know, just practicing. And <laughs> yeah. he, he said, I got you an audition for Billy. Wow. Yeah. And the amazing thing about that, Matt, is I showed up at the audition. It was at Billy's house and the full band was there. And there was one other guitar player there. And he was from England and Billy already knew him. He knew him through the Beatles. And I don't, you know, I don't remember what the guy's name was. It was a long, long time ago, but there were only two people that were auditioning for this tour in this whole city Wow! of amazing musicians. You know, they didn't advertise and you know, there were, I, look, I've been to other auditions. I, I went to an audition for seal one time and, and there were probably 50 guitar players that they saw that day. Okay. And, and by the time I got there at the end of the day, they had already chosen their guitar player. I didn't even get to audition. Right. And I had been called by the record label. Wow. They called me and and said, hey, we'd, we'd love for you to come down, learn these three songs. And I went and I saw Seal walking to his car in the parking lot. Okay. As I pulled up. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's a so, bad sign. <laughs> right. So, well, that, yeah, they had already decided. You know, somebody came in and that, that was it. So, and they were tired. They didn't need to see 51 guitar players. Sure. Yeah, to, to find out, you know, what they were looking to find what they were looking for. But, but with the Billy Preston audition, it was just this other guitar player and I, and they put us in the room at the same time. Oh, wow. Which I had never experienced before that's and awkward. never experienced <laughs> again. It's, that's a good choice of words. <laughs> <laughs> it was incredibly awkward and disrespectful and bizarre uh -huh. and weird. And, and, you know, I just didn't even know how, how do you do this? You know, I mean, so we basically just all started playing. Billy just started playing a song. Mm -hmm. He goes into nothing for nothing, you know, and we're, everybody's playing because they all know the music. This other guitar player starts playing. I start playing. It is so loud that I can't even tell which part is me and which part is the other guy. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't hear. You know, I knew I was playing, but I couldn't hear what I was playing. And and I felt it slipping away. It's like the ship has left the dock and it's sailing <laughs> away. <laughs> and I thought, wait a second, you have to do something, you know, because you're going to lose this. You're going to lose this opportunity. This is what you moved here for. You know, just wake up, snap out of it, do something, just do something. And, you know, in my nature it was to not, you know, Look, I, I'm all for moving forward in life as long as it doesn't hurt other people. Sure. You know, I don't believe on stepping on people to yeah. get to what you need to do. So it went against my nature at the time to basically do something that would not bear well for him. Yeah. Well, it took <laughs> you, know, you a year I, to ask your friend about the gig. So <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. I get that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, I really, I felt like, you know, I've got a really good friend here. I don't want to lose a friend. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, you know, I didn't know many people, but yeah, that's a very good point. <laughs> point taken, Matt. Um, but anyway, so what I did was I thought, make your move, man. So I turned around to my amp and just turned it all the way up to 10, <laughs> literally. And I went right up to Billy. He's sitting at the B3 and singing and playing. And I went right in his face and I'm just playing and dancing and sweating and smiling and just giving it everything I had uh -huh. as if my life depended on it because it felt like it did and just played and we were all playing and, and I basically uh, got hired. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got the gig. I Very got the gig. cool. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> 
and by the way, Matt, in that, you know, I mentioned Joe Sample and and the Crusaders, and that is by no means a small aside or chapter in my life. It was very yeah, sure. uh, pivotal pivotal to work with Joe and to to begin working with the Crusaders. I met uh, Joe first because he needed somebody to do some orchestrations for him for the Tokyo Philharmonic. They were going over there, and he didn't have time. It's not that he didn't know how to orchestrate. He, sure. he, he was an amazing arranger, yeah, yeah. Uh, as well as one of the most unique and brilliant p p piano players in the world. You know, with his just he'd play a single note on the piano and you would know it was him, you know, on the acoustic piano. So uh, so basically I, I met Joe and ended up writing. <laughs> here's another one. Opportunities and learning how to say yes to everything mm -hmm. that his manager had said to me, because I met with the manager and he had said, do you know how to write for for strings? And I said, yeah, I do. And he said, and you can write for harp and timpani, right? And I said, yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> and I had never written for harp and timpani in my life. I had studied it, <laughs> but I never, you know, I never actually yeah. wrote something and heard it played by a timpani. Sure. You know, or wrote a harp part out. I'd seen them on scores. We'd studied orchestral scores yeah. in school when we were learning how to, you know, to, uh, to conduct and everything. So, but I said yes. And then I very immediately went out and found myself a harp player. <laughs> <laughs> and I called her up and this is a woman I'm still friends with and basically said, hi, my name's Terry Wallman. I just got hired to write some harp parts out for an orchestral piece. And I'd love to be able to come and show you some things I've written and just get your feedback regarding fingerings and ranges of instrument. And, you know, you know, can I pay you or take you out to lunch or I don't even know if I offered to pay her cause I probably didn't have the money. Uh -huh. You know, I probably said, can I, buy you lunch and she said just yeah just come on over and we she played it and said this would sound better an octave up and let me really show you how the, the pedals work you wow, need that's so cool you need a few seconds to be able to change from here to here and and uh and then i wrote this orchestration and got hired again and and joe be joe sample became um a friend and a mentor to me as well mm -hmm. and ended up playing on my my first record fantastic that's a pretty yeah, good side guy to get for your first record. You think? <laughs> <laughs> and the, Matt, the funny thing about that is, yeah, so in 1988, I recorded my very first record. It's called Bimini. Yes. And Bimini is, is an island in the Bahamas mm -hmm. uh, that's the closest island to, to Florida, to yeah. Miami. So, and I'd sailed there when I was a kid. And oh, so, cool. yeah, so, so I put out this record and, you know, it's got Abraham Laboriel on bass and Paulinho da Costa on percussion and oh Ernie Watts on sax. Dean Parks played guitar. Oh, wow. Really? With me because I wanted two guitars on a couple of things. And so Dean came in and Joe Sample played on two songs. And uh, who else was playing? Pat Coyle played piano and, and Tom Breckline on drums. Oh, wow. Uh, he was amazing. Yeah. But so and it started getting all of this radio play because back then the the radio DJs and program directors could play whatever they wanted, mm -hmm. especially in instrumental music. They If they liked it, they played it. And if they wanted to play uh, an eight-minute song, they would play it. You know, they really, it was a, they played things that, that moved them and excited them. And it was a very cool time in radio uh, before things were being really dictated by marketing groups and, um, and other elements that came in that started to homogenize mm -hmm. a lot of instrumental music, you know? Yeah. So, but regardless, this album came out, it was getting played all across the United States and around the world. Uh, of course that was pre internet, but it was still getting radio play around the world. But, but I was calling um, program directors up and station managers to thank them because I was really grateful mm -hmm. and I just wanted to thank them. And I asked, um, I actually asked the manager of the Crusaders uh, of Joe Sample and the Crusaders if I could use their phone to make these long distance phone calls because I couldn't afford to make the calls. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because yeah, now we have cell phones and it costs the same to call New York as it costs to call around the block. It's, yeah, sure. You're not paying long distance anymore. But back then, you know, you're on the clock. 
Absolutely. So he said, yeah, sure. Yeah. Come on in, you know, come on in for a couple hours and use the phone. So, so it was really nice of him to do that. And he actually didn't think I'd be there a few hours. He thought I would call one or two radio stations and get shot down and then, you know, walk away with my tail between my legs, <laughs> having been taught a valuable lesson about whatever. I don't know what that lesson was, but that's not a lesson that I learned because I called up and I wasn't asking them to do anything for me. They were already doing it. I was calling to show them to express my gratitude. And I didn't realize that not many artists called radio stations to, to say thank you. <laughs> they were mostly calling, asking for something or complaining about sure. something. Yeah, yeah. So so it stuck out. But the other thing is they these people were playing my songs on their their shows and and not just one song, but most radio stations were were basically playing two or three songs at a time from the record and wow, not cool. always the same songs, different stations chose different songs. Yeah. It was very cool and really thrilling for me. And, and so they were very curious about who I was because they had never heard of me. And more than one would say, you know, first of all, thank you for calling. It's so nice to speak with you and love your album. And I'm a little embarrassed to say this, you know, I feel like I should know, but I, I I've never really heard much of your work before you know, where did you come from? Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Because I, uh, you know, again, they would say, I'm embarrassed that I don't know more about you. And I would say, well, this is my first record. That's why you don't know more about me. And they said, well, how did you get all these people <laughs> to play <Yes>. on your <laughs> record? <laughs> if this is your first record. And I said, I asked them to, these are people that I had met through working with Joe and the crusaders and, and they had become my friends and, this was really important to me to make the best record that I knew how to make. And that's why I moved to LA was to, my goal was to work with the best musicians in the world or some of the best musicians in the world. No offense intended to anybody anywhere else in the world, but, sure. but, uh, but you know, I knew that I needed to move to a, a city where it was world-class musicianship, you know, the highest level. And so these were people that I'd gotten to know and I asked them, and I said, I'm making my first record, and would you be open to playing on it? And pretty much everybody said yes. And you know, and I haven't looked back since. Um, and people still ask me, how did you get so-and-so to play on your record? Mm -hmm. How did you get Michael McDonald to sing on your record? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, well, you know, I knew people that were in his band, and I had met him before briefly, you know, backstage or this or that, but... I really wanted to record one of Michael's songs and I thought it'd be really amazing to have him sing on it if he might. And I asked and, you know, it happened, you know, and they didn't, I mean, it didn't just happen the next day. You know, the answer was yes. And then it took about six months to figure out how to schedule it. You know, and a lot of times I think people say yes. Um, uh, in, in that moment, they mean it because they're musicians and, and they want to make music with great people or they're flattered or, mm -hmm. or just in the moment you catch them off guard and they say yes, because it sounds like a really cool, fun thing to do. And then later on when you try to schedule it, that yes is sort of <laughs> ambiguous because they all of a sudden they've got other, um, they've got other things that they need to be doing. They're traveling and there's, there's other obligations. Cool. So then they start to, uh, wonder why they said yes or wish they hadn't <laughs> said yes or <laughs> or still really want it to be yes but don't have the time yeah sure yeah so you know yes can mean a lot of things but um but i i circled back and 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 i gave everybody the opportunity to say no as well mm -hmm. you know when i would go back i would say you know if you are too busy to do this um i understand and hopefully we can do this some other time and i think because again, you know, I'm bringing gratitude and respect back into the equation. Sure. You know, it's, it's a little, I, I found in high, you know, looking back or along my journey, I found that that was not really typical. Mm -hmm. People are more forceful or aggressive or reactive or have this expectation or they just get pissed off. You know, and they'll go, well, you said yes, I guess. You're, All right, I'll go somewhere else. Thanks a lot, man. You yeah, know, sure. bye. You know, and for me, it's like, you know, I, I, I didn't hear 
yes is being no. And other people would say to me, uh, that is a no. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> it's like <laughs> if somebody says yes three times and it's still not happening. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of them saying no. It's like, well, why don't they just say no? <laughs> so, oh, and man. what would happen is I would go back this one last time, you know, the third time and say, look, I, you know, the last thing I want to do is, is put you on the spot or make you feel awkward about, you know, following through on something that you had said that you'd like to do. I understand you're really busy. And, and I just want to thank you for, for even considering doing this. It really means a lot to me. And, mm -hmm. and, yeah, you know, and thanks. And, you know, look forward to doing something with you in the future. And they go, well, when was the recording date again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That, yeah, it is kind of cool. So, I mean, I, I mean, I suppose it's a tip to, to you and to our listeners, but you know, I look, I'm sure you've experienced that too, by asking guests to be on your show, hmm. you know, too, and, you know, or to play in your, your music or, or playing your band or, you know, there's, sure. and, and even in teaching, it's not, it's not limited to, this is human nature. Yes. It's not the recording or touring business. So, uh, so I've always started at the top of my list, uh, and then work my way from there, you know, and that's regardless of the budget, mm -hmm. you know, or the, whether I have a record deal or I'm an independent artist or anything, you know, I, I, you know, the way I look at it and look, I know, I know why it's because I lost my dad when I was a kid and it, and it happened immediately. He wasn't sick. He was in an accident and he got killed and it, it really informed the way that I look at life and that life is precious and, and that, um, it can change in the blink of an eye. You can, you can be injured. You could die. You know, it, it, it only takes a, a just a blank, a heartbeat and the, and the world has changed. Yeah. So for me, because of that, I just thought, well, why, why am I here? You know, if I'm not going to just be going for it, you know, like setting the, the, the bar as high as possible and keeping it there and going for my my dreams and doing it with with the people that live here, the other people who have either grew up here or moved here to do the same thing. You know, I might as well just go back to Miami and, you know, get a, get a job, you know, working on a boat, you know, oh. on the cruise, you know, sailing or water skiing instructor or something like that and have a a way easier life <laughs> you know, yeah. than the one that, that we've chosen as, as musicians or, or that we've been drawn to. Well, so, um, yeah, go ahead, Matt. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, it just sounds like you found a good way to strike a balance between you being, you know, a little reluctant to push yourself out there. Like you were saying earlier with the, the Billy Preston thing and, um, sure. but you found a way to do it, but in a way that, you know, remains true to your character and the way you want to treat people. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And also the reality is I toughened up as I, as I had more experience yeah. and got older and, yeah. and, and I still hold to the same belief. I, I don't really ever want to do something that's going to give me personal gain at the, that's going to cause pain to somebody else. Sure. Yeah. And I'm not talking about, I get the gig that you didn't get, you know, because they like the way I played better. That just plays out the way it is, but not to do anything deliberately to step on somebody for my own personal gain. I yeah. just, it doesn't interest me. I don't want to live my life that way. I want to be proud of who I see when I brush my teeth in the morning and look in the mirror. Yeah. But, but, but I definitely have gotten a lot tougher mm -hmm. and, and literally, I mean, I, I mean, later on in life, you know, when I was 40, I started studying karate and, and ended up earning a black belt in karate. So wow. I know awesome. how to defend myself now. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't then. And, and that carries over, but, but not how you would think. It doesn't make me more aggressive. It just allows me the ability to stand up for myself more quickly. And I can certainly be aggressive, but it just, it, it brings a, another level of confidence. And, and also again, working in television, because I, I'm, no, we haven't spoken about this yet, but I music directed two late night talk shows. Yeah. So, you know, doing that, that's a tough gig, man. People are not always very nice 
you know, when you're doing a live TV show, there's a lot of money and a lot of egos and, and there's some wonderful people, but there's also occasionally some people that are just not happy people, you know, and they go out of their way to make other people around them miserable, you know, (laughs) so, or, 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 or make it difficult. (laughs) <laughs> and when you could just as easily make it easy for somebody. Sure. <laughs> you know? So that made that toughened me up a lot too. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Right, there you go. That's the first part of my conversation with Terry Wallman. Hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Now in the second part, we talk a bit more about Terry's TV career, both as a music director and guitarist, and some of the rabbits he's had to pull out of the hat on that sort of gig, but also as an actor in front of the camera. Terry is a man with many hats, and yet another one is as a radio host, hosting the show Making It with Terry Wallman, talking to other creative people like musicians, actors, producers, managers, about uh, building a creative career and that's a great show I've been checking it out on iTunes I highly recommend it to you as well alright also remember we are on iTunes or Apple Podcasts as they're called now um, you can look up any of our episodes there or Stitcher or iHeartRadio if you're using an Android device we're on Facebook and Instagram and we love to hear from you on on those platforms we have a facebook group closed group called guitar speak forum you can look that up and uh ask to be part of that group and we're always happy to have anyone and we talk about the show but we also talk about general cool guitar stuff it's a good guitar hang all right i'm gonna get out of here we'll see you again for another installment of the guitar speak podcast stay tuned and i'll catch you next time bye now